Ridder Nation, what is up? Hope you guys are outside getting some exercise, staying safe, obviously. This week on the podcast, we have guests Eric Anderson and Bobby Harrington. These two runners out of North Carolina have quite the extensive history. Eric has run some of the most predominant races across the East Coast, and Bobby is shaping up to be a very fast and competitive runner. So hope you guys enjoy their stories and enjoy this episode of the podcast. Thanks. Awesome. What is going on, Rich Runner Nation? We are back for another live show. This is our second of two shows this week. We've got John and I holding it down tonight. We are joined by two guests who I'm super excited to talk to. If you're just sitting around a campfire on a summer night and your friend asks you what the 10 biggest ultras are in the East Coast, your answer will include many of the races that these guys have run. Without further ado, Eric Anderson, Bobby Harrington, how are you guys? Good, man. Good to be here. What's up, man? Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. Super excited to have you guys on. As always, we always like to kick things off with what everyone is drinking tonight. Eric, what are you drinking? Uh, I have a Pernicious by Wicked Weed. It's kind of their flagship IPA out of Asheville. I'm uh, Black Coffee. I'm about oh, ten man. cups. Di- I'm about ten cups a day. So eight o'clock at night, drinking your caffeine. Yeah, yeah that's right, man. Not even decaf. No, no, mm. caffeinated. So that's crazy. I can't do that after like five o'clock. Otherwise, I'm like at bed. But I still drink a good amount during the day. Um, I got myself some more red wine this evening. We just had our wink delivery the other day, so busting that open. And I'm still just drinking the casual Miller Light. So. Holding it down for a couple more and more episodes, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, Ridge Runner Nation is a curious bunch of people uh, that are, that are they're looking at us right now, just wanting to know who you guys are. So let's just start off with that. Take 60 seconds, uh, intro who you guys are. Eric, you can kick things off. Um, I'm a, I guess an ultra runner, lives in Raleigh, North Carolina right now. Um, I've been in North Carolina for about 11 years. Um, originally from Michigan, um, went to college in Toledo, um, left for a couple of years and then came back and worked for a while before I moved to North Carolina. Um, I'm a civil structural engineer by trade and father of two. So got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, so they keep me pretty busy. Awesome. Pretty good guy. Yeah, so, uh, man, I'm originally from uh, Florida, but been in North Carolina for almost 15 years. Uh, my wife and I, Allison, we got three boys, uh, love the outdoors, love to camp, uh, love to run. That's really kind of what me got, got me into ultra running, just love being outdoors and in the mountains. And my wife's family had a house um, out in the mountains of Western North Carolina. So once we moved up here, we really kind of fell in love with the mountains. So we're about a couple hours from the mountains. Um, I'm actually a pastor, uh, here in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's super excited. Like I said, to have you guys on, um, you guys are also really good friends. Uh, when did you guys meet, uh, how did that connection form? It's always interesting when people meet others out on the trail and how friendships can sometimes become lifelong friends. Yeah, we lived, uh, pretty close to one another, uh, in Greensboro. And I think just followed each other on Strava, um, and then Eric, uh, begged that he could pace me, uh, in my first 100 K. Um, so that, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. But he, he reached out to me on Strava and said, Hey man, uh, do you want to pace her? I was running the, uh, URE 100 K. I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. Um, so, so that was awesome. He came out there and paced me and then we've been friends and running and we, we've done some races and some, some awesome long runs together. Eric, I don't know what you'd add to that. I mean, I really just wanted to run a loop at URE for free and get some cookies. <laughs> So I was glad that you let me tag along. Watch me shuffle it in. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So obviously you said that you've run a hundred K, but uh, let's go, let's take it back a little further than that. What was your guys' first run? What got you into running and what was the appeal to kind of start running at some point in your life? Uh, Bobby, you can start this one off. Yeah. So I always loved to like run and endurance type stuff, like growing up playing sports and stuff, you know, but, um, it wasn't until I was actually graduated college that, uh, my wife and I signed up for a duathlon. Um, and I had put on a bunch of weight, you know, after college was like, man, we need to get shape. And so we did this duathlon and I had always been a good runner. 
but the second, you know, duathlon's like run, bike, run, you know. And uh, the second part of the duathlon, this guy that was like, he must have been 70, just like smoked by me. And uh, man, it just put it, it just put this like fire in my soul. So as soon as I got done with the duathlon, I went and signed up for uh, the Disney marathon. This was like 15 years ago. And I was like, man, I got to I got to do it, you know. So that, that's kind of what got me into it. And then, uh, you know, really the last six years I've been trail mountain running. So that's that's, that's kind of my uh, journey to running. Awesome. Uh, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I, mine was similar. I mean, I always played a bunch of sports growing up, played club soccer through college for five years. And, you know, got a desk job, sat on my butt. Ate a bunch of food, got lazy, and I uh, actually started running at the at the gym on the treadmill, and then signed up for like a local 5K, you know, and ran like a 24 minute 5K. But nobody who's 23 was running 5K, so I got an award, you know, one of those ones where they basically give everybody that is in an award. So then it kind of got me, you know, got me motivated, and then I just did, you know, half marathon, marathon, and then. Always ran a lot, never really ran a lot of races. And then, uh, you know, did a, did an ultra when I moved to North Carolina, I think about 10 years ago was my first, my first race. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Uh, John's still with us. He's just going to take care of some internet technical issues right now. So he'll be back on. I think you can too many, still hear us. Uh, too many people streaming tiger king i guess <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly uh so obviously uh you took those first steps to become a runner what was the appeal to run an ultra obviously even after running your first 5k or the marathon it's kind of a big deal to most people what was that step why did you take that step to become hey i want to go run 30 50 miles on a trail mine mine was easy uh i had a guy i worked with and he said you know, I, I never thought to, I mean, I read Born to Run at some point, but I never really thought to look for local races. And I never really knew that people around me did, did ultra marathons. So a guy, guy I worked with, he said, they have a race out at URI, you know, you can run at 20 miles or 40 miles. So I thought, well, I can run a marathon pretty, pretty easily. I'll go do the 20 miler. It's out and back. So the, the 40 miler start an hour earlier. So as you're, as you're finishing, you're seeing some of these people, you're passing some people going out and you're passing some people that have turned around and coming back. And, you know, it wasn't all Dean Carnassus coming back. There was a lot of, you know, older people, heavy people, you know, just people you wouldn't expect that would be running 40, 40 miles in a tough area. So as soon as I saw that, you know, I, I get inspired by the back of the pack people just as much as the front of the pack people. So it was, it was awesome. So I knew that once I did that, I was, I was definitely hooked. So I signed up for the 40 miler the next year. <laughs> did you sign up immediately after that race or did you do? Uh, no, months? I mean, you have to wait for this one. It's, it's a, like, a, I think it sells out in like five minutes, doesn't it? It has probably the last I've done, I've done it 10 years. I think every year it sells out in about five minutes. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Yeah. Bobby. Yeah. So for me, you know, like, so I always heard the stories growing up of my dad swimming across the English channel. Uh, he was in the special forces. And so like, I would just always hear these stories about, you know, he swam for 12 hours and it's like a, you know, I don't know, it's like a 30 mile swim or something. So I always kind of had that in my mind, just like, man, how, like how awesome that is. And like, man, so much adventure, you know, most of us, um, you know, just kind of work desk jobs and sit and look at our computers all day. So you know, when I got into trail running, I just kind of yearned for, you know, something a little more like, man, something to kind of mix it up, you know? And then this is funny. Like, um, I hadn't really remembered this till I'm just thinking about it right now, but I was running the trails right near my house where I kind of started trail running here in Greensboro. And, um, I bumped into these two guys, they look like super fit, you know? And I was like, man, what are you, what are you guys doing? They're like, man, we're training, you know, we're, we're, we're training for, they were training for some hundred mile race. Uh, and they mentioned Western States. I hadn't heard of any of this stuff, you know? And so after that, you know, like a lot of you guys have probably done, I kind of went into the rabbit hole of, you know, just like the videos online and podcasts and researching. And it's like, oh my gosh, like there's this world 
that exists. You know, you could be like a normal runner and not even know like the ultra running yeah. world exists. So, man, I just went deep into that and it was, you know, that was all she wrote. And, and I still didn't, I still didn't, you know, I had run URA 40 maybe two or three times and I still didn't really know that there was other races around. I mean, I never thought to, I never thought to search for ultra sign up, I guess. And then I kind of stumbled on URP and started listening to a bunch of those podcasts and then went and did like Sonoma and then it was like over. I was like, I'm going to do this a bunch. <laughs> I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Lake Sonoma in 2017 was your first race ultra outside of North Carolina. Yeah. Yep. So you ran six years of running ultras just in the one state. So that's crazy. How? Yeah. I'm basically, basically one rate, one, one race director. I just didn't, I guess I never thought to look or <laughs> that's awesome though. But that also means that the North Carolina trail scene, it's gotta be kind of special. Obviously there's a lot of, there's been some new races that have popped up in the recent years. Uh, there's some long time races that have some awesome history there. Uh, take us through what the North Carolina trail scene is maybe where you guys live, uh, what it's like in the mountains, just the whole, for people that don't know what the scene's like, whoever wants this one. I, I'll say a little bit, Eric, and then you could sort of add yeah. to it. Um, I mean, across the state, I feel like people in North Carolina love to be outdoors. So, you know, a lot of the bigger cities have pretty decent single track, you know, like here where I'm at in Greensboro, um, you know, there's probably 40, 50 miles of single track. Uh, the mountain bikers have done a lot of good stuff and building trails um, out in Western North Carolina. Uh, there's a lot of mountain runners and man, the trails are just kind of epic. I, I, I don't really... I don't really think people realize like how good the trails are and how good the mountain running is. You know, I mean, we go kind of all over the place, uh, Asheville, Brevard, but just, just taking Brevard as like an example, you know, Brevard's got like 300 miles of single track. Uh, and that's man, mountain running and just all sorts of, uh, different stuff. And, and in terms of the race scene, um, you know, North Carolina is great. And there's races like all over the state, but I feel like, some of the the longer sort of mountain races are just kind of coming into sort of the scene. And a lot of the races in, uh, like Eric's mentioned, um, like the URI mountain run, that's probably one of the older runs in the state. I think it's 29 years old maybe, but yeah, there's not a lot of really like old races and like classic races, you know? So, um, I mean, maybe like some like shut in run or something. That's not ultra. It's a 17 mile run. That's pretty old. I mean, that's like, I'm not sure 20 years at least. But yeah, I agree. And there's a lot of Western North Carolina badass runners that don't really run races or they might run one, you know, Asheville race a year. And they just, they have so many options of where they can go and routes that they can do that people just, you know, they don't really care about running a race. They just want to go and be in the mountains and get after it. Yeah. that That's, that's like the thing about like the North Carolina trail running scene, you know, you'll have like, you'll hear of these names and they don't like race, you know, but yeah. they'll run like, different, uh, you know, like FKT routes, like Pitchell and stuff like that. You'll hear, you'll hear these guys that are like super awesome. They literally don't race. Um, they just, you know, they, they just run in the mountains. So I guess it's kind of interesting, uh, in, in that way too. Yeah. And, and in Raleigh, you know, I'm, I'm just getting settled here, but we have the Umstead 100 and I think that's, that's been around for quite a while. And so, you know, we have, we have people, they just go to Umstead every, you know, they go every single weekend. That's where, you know, everybody meets there, does their long run. They always do it at the same place, you know, and they're completely content with just doing that and kind of training, training for one easy hundred a year, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's easy. It's, it's definitely rolling and, you know, hard pack, no hundreds and easy, easy race. That's for sure. I forget that one off the top of my head. How much vert does that one have over a hundred miles? I, I eight, like eight, 8,000. Yeah. Feet. Eight to 10 or something. I mean, it, it, there's no, there's nothing you would consider a climb, but there's definitely a lot of hills. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's kind of similar to like Mohican in, in Ohio and a couple. Yeah. Other. But it's, it, it's on a, like a bridal trail. So it's more on a gravel path. So it's not, it's not rugged, you know, there's no rugged trail. They're fast times. Like I think Olivia Blonde, he's won four or five times, and he run in about fourteen something, fifteen hours. But yeah. you know, he's smoking. 
yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely moving. Uh, what is it? I mean, I guess it's gotta be kind of tough mentally sometimes, like not knowing like, uh, what these people are going to, if their people are going to show up for these races, uh, from a competitive standpoint, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, that they're going to sign up for their one race, but how fit are they? Are they fitter because they only run one race a year or are they just not that fit? I mean, Bobby has some pretty high finishes uh, on his ultra sign up. What do you, do do you think about that? Do you think it helps to race more or less per year? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know, honestly. Uh, I mean, I think running volume is probably what helps the most. Um, but like what you're saying about people showing up for races, I definitely think that's true. I mean, like Eric uh, mentioned shut in, which is a real, like a real classic race uh, up in Asheville that, uh, it's like a mountain race. It's like, I think it's 18 miles. Um, but man, you'll have people that are like not really truly trail runners, you know, show up to shut in and, and get top three, uh, or, or do really, really well. Yeah. But they, I mean, they also have some, you know, elite marathon people Oh yeah, in the Asheville area. So, or in, in Boone. So, you know, somebody that can run a two twenty marathon comes over and yeah. Yeah. Like I don't close the doors off us. I haven't historically loved to like race a lot. Cause I just like training and running more than racing, but I have Great. wanted to be more competitive over the last couple of years. So I've sort of forced myself to race more. Cause I do think, especially if you're trying to race 100s, like I am like, man, there's, there's such a steep learning curve. Like, man, you just like, you can't fake it. You got to go get that experience. So I've been kind of forced that, like I was planning on racing probably more races this year um, than ever, but it's not going to happen now. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, Obviously you guys have run some pretty awesome races over the past couple of years. What is the one highlight from your ultra career uh, up to this point? Go ahead, Eric. Well, mine's probably going to be Bobby's low point. (laughs) And uh, it was 2018 grindstone. Uh, I think Wesley, you were there, right? Uh, Briefly. For a little bit. Briefly. (laughs) I was there for Uh, 20 miles. Yeah, it was great. You know, that was my first hundred and the weather sucked. And it was so hot and foggy and, you know, I was just fit for it. I, I went out at a reasonable pace and I felt, I felt like I did pretty well till, you know, I had a little pity party maybe with about 20 miles to go when it got really hot, but I was able to rally and, you know, able to run the last seven, eight miles reasonably well and finish, you know, I finished like 30 first or 32nd which for me out of 250 people on a race like that is pretty good and that's probably one of my best results I felt like I you know I didn't really have any low points my nutrition went okay for being that hot so he he dragged me all the way to the finish we ran we ran the last 50 miles together yeah probably 40 at least 40 yeah that's awesome and you finished the last eight or so relatively strong correct I mean, yeah, there's, there's, you know, that big climb on Elliot's knob, you you do, you do, you have to go back up it. And then it's just, it just sucks. There's so many rocks. It's not, it's not that it's such a strong or hard climb vertically challenging, but it's just slow. You can't, you can't really run it very well. So it sucks. You sucks the life out of you. For sure. Uh, Before we get into Bobby's answer here, what's one thing you learned from that race that really just, kind of impacted you i mean just kind of trust in your training i think you know you put in the work and you know you can do it and then also you know you you can be in a sucky spot and i never really wanted to quit but i definitely had like a pity party for myself for a few minutes and then you know just get over and start walking and then once you start walking it's crazy but it comes you know it comes back and then you realize, you know, your quads hurt, but your quads are going to hurt no matter if you're running down the hill or if you're hiking down the hill. So suck it up. Keep going. Awesome. Bobby. Yeah, I think for me, probably the 2019 grindstone, um, it was my third 100 mile race. And, you know, my first two 100 mile races were just like epically bad um I'm, I'm talking just horrible uh in terms of the way keep, I felt. Keep, keep in mind he beat me at grindstone by like well, 15 minutes we, we yeah so we finished 2018 so. um 
so my first two races, like I just had, um, I just had like a ton of dizziness and stomach issues. And like, I just felt like, man, I can, I, I can run like hours faster is the way that I felt. And I'm just kind of inherently, this is the way I am I'm just like competitive. So even like my first 100, I'm like gotten my, I'm not telling anybody this, but I got in my mind, like, man, I want to go win or I want to get like top three, you know, and I'm like nine hours from like what the winner did, you know? And then even my second race was grindstone, uh, with Eric. And it was just like, man, I just, I just struggled, you know, like the first 20, 30 miles were great. After that, I was like dizzy and wanting to throw up and just felt awful. So, uh, getting back to like your question, um, grindstone last year was the first race where I, I felt like, um, you know, like my nutrition and stuff actually didn't like hold me back. I felt like I was able to sort of run what I was kind of able to run. And that was just, um, I don't know. It was just, yeah, I, it was just a good feeling for me. Cause I thought I could race a lot faster, but I had, you know, kind of these doubts too. Like, well, maybe you can't, you know, maybe you're just like good at 50 K's or 50 miles or whatever. So it was a bit of a confirmation like, okay, you know, I could do this. Can I, can I disagree with them? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Chime in. I mean, I, I totally, that, that didn't surprise me. I thought you were totally capable of running that time that you ran and you were, I mean, obviously your nutrition and you came in a lot lighter for race weight and everything. It wasn't a surprise to me, but this year uh, in February, the Uari 40 mile race, he actually ran 557, which was the fastest time in the last 18 years. And there's been a few course reroutes of the trail. So it's hard to tell, but the only three people that run faster times are Courtney Campbell, Eric Clifton and Mike Morton. You guys can go and look up there. Uh, I'll just sign up and be pretty shocked. I think uh, I think Eric Clifton actually had the trail 100-mile world record at one point. So these guys are like studs. So Thanks, this race man. has been around for 29 years. So a lot, a lot of good people been through there and never ran sub six. So it was, it was – for having run out there so much, the pace that he ran for 40 miles was, was bonkers. For sure. So you're 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 gonna tell me what was my best experience. <laughs> yeah, I am. I love it. I gotta, you know, I, I gotta give you some perspective. No, I, I mean I was gonna say that. That's definitely like you know, one of That's the best that might be your best result. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. The the grindstone race though was more of just like a okay, man. Vindication. You know, for yeah, like I can work. I can run this way, you know. I went out like super like fast, you know, with like all the leaders. Um and everything we missed the very first turn like three miles into the race yeah, so that, that was I awful i mean there was like 40 of us that missed the turn but um nothing you know in terms of my times like nothing could have said like man you need to be running like with the leaders because the previous year i ran uh 26 hours and then this last year i ran 20 hours and 45 minutes so it was a little bit of like okay this is a bit of a gamble but um you know i just felt like yeah it it paid off and I mean, that's what I love about those long races, though, is, you know, your your fitness is only one piece of the puzzle. So if you if you can't get your nutrition and your stomach and your gear right, it doesn't matter how fit you are. I mean, I beat people that are way better runners than me all the time. But, you know. Yeah, like I've, I've always felt like even when it didn't show in like the results, like my the, my best like attribute in ultra running is like, so something with like the slow twitch, like muscle endurance, you know, like I could, I could really run at the end of the races. Yeah. If I don't definitely. have some other issue that's like restricting me, you know, so that's, that's what was so cool about grindstone. Like I just felt, I felt like I was like on top of the world, you know, like, I mean, I was, there was one point the last like three miles I was, you know, I was running like seven minute miles and I just felt like, man, I just feel like incredible, you know, and that was such a, it was such a crazy feeling. Um, I came up behind two guys in the last like three miles. They looked at me like, man, what are you doing? <laughs> one, <laughs> one guy was standing like peeing next to the river and I came up behind him. He looked at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember reading a race report from one of the guys you passed and he says, some guy came by running a 5k and just like blew <laughs> past me. It's funny. Yeah. Cause he didn't even, he didn't even, he, he just, he just stood there and just watch, watch me keep going. Yeah. And this, the la the second guy I passed like a mile from the finish, he like started running. And we we're in like a foot race. And I was like, man, I can't do this much longer. Another like 30 seconds. I was just going to stop. And then finally, like he stopped. I'm like, okay, I could kind of. He wanted that Patagonia jacket. Yeah. 
yeah, you obviously, uh, you finished fifth at grindstone, um, passing a bunch of people in the last couple miles there. Uh, is it true that you have the Strava segment course record in the last five miles of that course? Yeah, I'm sure there's like a billion people that have run it that like, we're not on Strava or whatever. So, but for the people that are on Strava, uh, yeah, I got the, I got the Strava record for, uh, whatever that last aid station is to the finish. I think it's like 5.2 miles. That's, that's incredible. That's kind of reminds me of uh Wardian the other day, just throwing down that seven minute mile pace at like 260 miles. And I just don't know how the body can kind of just kind of take over and do some pretty incredible things late in races. It's cool to see. Uh, what was one thing you learned the most from uh, that race? I mean, obviously it was a super successful race for you. Uh, you a lot of things go right. What was your one takeaway leaving grindstone? Yeah, probably the big thing was I had really just like t- radically like changed the nutrition and I was going on about half of the amount of calories kind of being on like a higher fat diet. And, um, man, that was just a lot easier on me and on my stomach and stuff. Um, and I feel like I was able to race in a much more like minimal way, you know, like I wasn't wearing a pack or anything. Um, uh, I think there was just a, a, me and a couple other people that were just were like, man, I had a belt with a little, uh, water thing in it. That's it. Um, and so I didn't have to take as much calories and I felt like my mind was so much more mentally sharp. Um, I think just with not, not, I don't know, taking in as much of much of that stuff and kind of being more fat adapted. Um, my wife who's paced me for a number of races, she even said that like some of my other races, you know, like towards the end, I'm like almost like incoherent, you know, like Eric, Eric paced me my first, uh, hundred towards the end. I mean, I literally was like sleepwalking while running, you know, like barely even could keep my eyes open and, at the end of this race, I was just like, I mean, I just, I felt like on top of the world in terms of just the energy level and like the mental clarity. Um, so probably just the nutrition stuff was, was really kind of the biggest thing with that. Yeah. So break that down, obviously for someone that may not know what that diet consists of on a day-to-day basis and in training during the race, uh, what are some of the foods you're eating in preparation and what did you eat on race day? Yeah. So for me, I had tried like all different types of eating, you know, like when I ran, um, you 100 K I was like trying out a vegan diet and, you know, I've done just kind of the normal diet. And then I just heard, heard stuff about high fat diet in terms of like easing up on stomach issues and stuff. So that that's why I was like, man, I, I might as well try it. Cause I feel like that's sort of my Achilles heel in terms of racing the hundred mile races at least. And so, um, it takes a couple months to sort of get adapted, you know, to kind of restrict those carbs and your body eventually starts using fat for energy. And so, um, you know, my diet is mainly, um, uh, take in healthy fats, um, with, you know, some protein and limited carbohydrates. And then when I race, I'll take carbohydrates, simple sugars and stuff when racing. And so, uh, man, your body, uh, it's kind of like crack when you, when you, when you don't take it and then, and then you start taking it while you're racing, like it just gives you, you know, like a boost you've never felt. And, and these, in these, you know, long ultras, your heart rate's actually not all that high. And so, um, if you can get your body to use some of the fat for energy, uh, you actually just don't have to take in as many calories. So, you know, grindstone, I was like hundred, 150 calories an hour, probably. Um, and what are those, uh, pouches you take those, uh, key, like ketones or whatever. Yeah. Um, Vespa is that, or what is yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Vespa. It's like, a, uh, it's, it's weird. It's made from some sort of B something or B extract, but for people that are already on like a high fat diet, it helps kind of kick your body into gear in, in terms of burning. So like for the race, I took that before the race and then didn't take in any calories for like the first 90 minutes to get your body like, okay, um, uh, man, we're not just going to have access to like simple sugars. Here. We got we to be able to burn some fat. So, um, that that's, the nutrition in the race is like what a normal person would do. You know, you're not like going around like eating fat in the race because your, your stomach's not going to be able to handle that. Just normal gels and stuff, but just a lot, a lot less of them, you know, because, you know, like trying to take in three, 400 calories an hour, you know, when you're running a hundred miles through the night, like there's a point where the body's like, man, you stop. I don't, I don't want any more of this. Yeah. You get behind too. try and play catch up. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's awesome. It sounds like you've got your system locked down. You've seen that over your past couple of results. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten uh, regarding long distance running, ultra running, uh, trails in general? 
Uh, yeah, I'd say uh, this is a super common one. Like, man, it doesn't doesn't always get worse. Um, that I mean, that's just so true. You know, a lot of times if you feel awful, it's like, man, there's probably a reason for that um, nutrition, something like that. You know, if you're starting to doubt yourself and go into that mental battle, it's like, man, you may just need to go eat like a candy bar or something, uh, you know, to change your mind. Like, man. And the, the other thing is like, in terms of it doesn't always get worse, like it actually could get like a lot better. And if you know that your mind has a way of like holding out hope, you know, of like, man, I feel awful, but I know this thing can actually get turned around if I just kind of keep running. Um, so I, I think for me, that's, that's probably the main thing that I'm thinking of in, in a certainly a hundred mile race. Definitely. Eric, obviously you have almost 10 years experience now in ultra running. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had picked similar to Bobby, but I had honorable mention one that really helped me. I think, uh, when Bobby and I did that, you are a hundred K I paced him. We, we hung out with Lee Connor for a while. And, uh, obviously you guys in Ohio know who Lee is. She's kind of a force of nature. She's a infectious personality. So got to know her a little bit and then, uh, ran GDR and ran with her for a good bit. And, you know, she was just drinking, uh, goo Roctane and she would take a Tums like, you know, every three or four hours. And I'm just, you know, I was kind of, I never heard of that. So, you know, I, she, she explained, you know, you get kind of the stomach acid. Some people have more stomach acid than others. And it's just kind of a preventative thing where, you know, I, I started doing it just take a regular stick, regular strength Tums. Um, you know, like every four hours, if you can pace, if you can put it before an aid station where you plan on eating a lot of food, it helps instead of doing it as, you know, like retroactive after you kind of get already sick where I think it probably doesn't help as much. So I've been doing that, you know, I mean, I, anything over, you know, 50 mile or over, I'll, I'll take a Tums every like four hours. I think you get too much calcium, but I don't think your body absorbs it because you're pushing so much stuff through. So for me, that's been a help. And I, you know, very little stomach issues. That hasn't been my problem since I started doing that. That's crazy. Yeah. I remember seeing that and I like, it blew my mind, honestly, just hearing that answer. Cause I, yeah. I hadn't heard that before either. I first time hearing that. Um, and so you take it every four hours is it you you always plan it before an aid station or is it just like no if you can i mean okay. like it depends on what you're doing you know so like if if i'm doing a 50 miler i probably won't eat that much real food i'll eat mostly do roctane and goo and maybe like some honey stingers or stroop waffles or something like that so all those are fairly easy for me to process so i don't really do it but if you're going to eat you know like a quesadilla or some soup or something like you know in these hundreds lots of times you don't feel like you can't force down 60 goos so if you if you know or if you're going to eat like a lot of people will eat a breakfast kind of meal and a lunch kind of meal and a dinner kind of meal even in a race just to kind of keep them going so if you can plan it before you go into those it'll help you definitely kind of just bouncing off that question a little bit uh what is your guys's favorite aid station food <laughs> Mine's easy. Mine's pierogies. Pro, like potato pierogies. I mean, it's like pa potatoes and mashed potatoes inside pasta. I mean, come on. It's pretty awesome. That's a good one. Man, I, I love the candy at the aid stations, but I've also been like burned by eating like too many Skittles and gummy bears and that sort of thing, you know? So these days for the most part, I'm just keep it like super, super simple. Um, you know, tailwind in a jail every like three hours. So I try to stay away from, I'll eat some chips every now and again to get, you know, some of that sodium in. Uh, if I had to guess, we'd never see the community bowl of M&Ms again. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really tough, honestly. Yeah. Uh, gonna miss those personally. Um, <laughs> obviously I mean, that's a good transition into our next topic here with everything going on in the world right now involving COVID-19. What's your guys' mindset with training? Uh, like obviously uh, impacting everything impacts life in general. It's affecting everything that's going on right now. Uh, how's it family wise? How's it training wise? Whole scenario, whoever wants it. Go ahead, Eric. Now for, I mean, for us, we, we've been lucky. Um, I've worked from home for probably the last five or six years. So for me, like 
that wasn't a huge transition. Um, and my wife's work, she was pretty, they were pretty flexible with allowing her to work from home. So that's a big, big plus, but you know, we have two, two little ones that, um, you can give them about five minutes on their own and then they're climbing on top of the couch or jumping off of something. So our childcare went away. So, um, we've been getting up about five in the morning and working until they wake up. And then I've been watching them in the mornings. Uh, I normally get to take them in the double stroller for a run, but man, that thing's hard pushing 120 pounds worth of kid and stroller up some Hills. And I say heat is the, the, um, equivalent of elevation training, but I, I would say that double stroller probably does a pretty good job too. So, but, you know, I mean, at the start of this, we were, we were going into hellbender. So it was, I mean, I was pretty worked. So it was taper time. And it, I think that helped a lot, you know, not, not being mentally, just knowing that I could back off and not have to worry about it. So I try, I mean, I, I probably run more than a lot of people throughout the year, just consistently and mostly just mentally for me, it's a release. So. I mean, I, I've still been, luckily I've been, you know, in North Carolina, we're still allowed to go out and run around the streets and do that kind of thing. Our, a lot of our trails have closed and I don't really think it's right to drive an hour and a half, two hours to go to a trail at this point. I mean, that's not really the idea. So I've just been going out the front door and putzing around. We got a few areas around here that you can still get into where there, a lot of people don't know about. So I take them there few times but i mean we don't there's not nobody's training for anything now really so i mean just do what you want to do do what makes you happy do what fits your family you know fits your job i mean i normally ran on lunch a lot and that's pretty much out the window so i, I try and go a little bit every maybe after the kids go to sleep every once in a while so i don't lose form and economy but I don't know. It's cool. It's cool having my kids with me running. They're crack me up. You know, it's, it's, a, I mean, Bobby's been, Bobby can tell you, but he's been biking with his kids. The same thing, you know, it's, it's not ideal that they're home all the time for work, but it's pretty awesome when the kids are this age to be able to spend so much time with them that we normally wouldn't do. So, and that's been a blessing for us. We got a little woods behind our house and a nice yard so they can go outside and built a little trail for them. And it's been fun. They, they, they really like being outside and the weather's been amazing here. So it's been great. Yeah. It's great, man, to hear, uh, you're making the most of it, obviously getting the kids out there. And I know a lot of people said like the best part about this blessing in disguise the most is spending more time with family and other people like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, great. we get everybody, you know, you'll see it, Wesley, when you get older, you know, like us wise men, we have, you know, we have more wisdom than you, but, it does. It means a lot, you know, like you get bogged down in your career and there's so much other stuff going on. You kind of lose track of a lot of the stuff that this is focusing everybody on, you know, reminding them it, I mean, that's, that's the one blessing in it. Right. For sure. Yeah. Uh, with the training tip there, you might convince me to get a stroller and find two kids to <laughs> <laughs> scoop up. If you're telling me it's just as good as heat training. Don't you do <laughs> I wondered how you just don't do Rocky repeats on those stairs every, every day. It's honestly just like too touristy for me. Like, it's just like, I mean, there's people everywhere. So even everybody on like a, has to do it. Even on like a day that like is you're allowed to be outside and whatnot and doing your thing. Um, people just everywhere. So I just avoid that as much as I can, but I have done it a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, here it's been, it's been crazy, you know, cause like, I mean, obviously everybody's seen it. They, they closed all their trails just because like, it was just nuts. I mean, all the parking lots are full and overflowed. Like Bobby's lucky their trails. I mean, I think they see some more local pressure maybe, but you know, Umstead like here, just people come from all over and they, they, just, like, they realize they could go outside or something and like, you know, now if you tell them they got to be outside, maybe everybody goes inside. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah, I agree. Bobby? Yeah, so, I mean, just to kind of start, you know, like, I've tried to have a good perspective on all this, you know, like, man, we can't, 
we have no control over like the circumstances, you know, the facts of sort of just like what's going on, you know, but like we do have control over our thoughts about the facts, meaning like, man, I could see everything bad and negative about this, or, you know, I could think of the things um, that are sort of a blessing in disguise, you know, about this stuff and just realize like even the idea of like sheltering in place and all these other things, they assume you know, they assume you have a house and you have a place to separate yourself from other people. And like, man, people that are in like abject poverty, like, man, they don't get to do some of these things. So like, man, even, even just our reality right now is very much a blessing compared to a lot of other people in the world. So I try to really have that sort of positive like mentality. And even, you know, with my family, like we've kind of had this like joking rule, like, man, during this time, like, we're not going to complain about anything. Like, okay, if you get coronavirus, you can complain, but until then, like, man, we're not going to complain because the kids are home or we're not going to complain because the weather's bad or whatever. Like, man, a lot of people are going to be like so much worse stuff right now. So, you know, let's have a really like positive attitude in terms of my training. Um, I'm like, Eric, it was kind of weird, you know, like I was, I was getting worn down because we were, we were on the same race schedule, you know, we were supposed to do Hellbender 100 last weekend. So when all this stuff really kind of went crazy here, um, I was kind of going into like a three week taper. So, um, that was kind of nice, honestly, to, to, to not have to manage all the stress of coronavirus and changes with, you know, I work at a church, all that stuff with also trying to keep like high volume running. So I've been kind of chilling out the last two or three weeks, but now just kind of getting back into training and, um, you know, a lot of the training I've tried to do over the last year is just sort of the idea of like, man, train, train the energy systems that are most furthest away from the type of race you're doing the furthest away from a race. So like, you know, you're on a hundred mile mountain race, you know, you need to be doing real high speed and efficiency type stuff. Um, and then the closer you get to the race, train the energy systems that are more specific to the specific race, you know? So I've been really sort of working, uh, off of that. So probably just kind of jumping right back into that now, you know, getting back into some real sort of efficiency type stuff to help with cadence and running form and that sort of thing. And then, uh, you know, when the races come at some point, you know, whatever that race is going to be, jump into some more specific type, um, training. Um, I think for both of us, for Eric and myself, um, Eric runs, has run higher mileage than I have, but I'm trying to put in more miles. I mean, I think ultimately like, man, that's the thing that's going to enable you to, whenever that race is, you know, hop into whatever sort of race, if you're keeping that volume, uh, you know, in, in a good place. So, um, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. You know, when, when the world gets back to, I don't think it'll ever get back to normal, but when it gets back to the new normal, um, having just continued to run and get that consistency and volume in, I think that's the most important thing in terms of, uh, being able to compete. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing's crazy, you know, cause like three weeks ago, you know, Aaron Saf, the race director for Hellbender, he was planning alternate routes and staggered starts. And then like, nobody thought three weeks from then it would be like it is now. And that was just like, you know, such a silly idea. Like how could we, you know, we were worried about that. Like every, that was everyone's biggest worry. And now, you know, all these small businesses, it just sucks. Like we we're sitting here doing nothing because we can't go out and support these businesses. I mean, I, we've done takeout a few times, but I'm still not super comfortable with the idea of that. And it's just like, we're in North Carolina. We're, we're, we're shut down until the end of the month at least. So that was basically two months of no income for a lot of people. It's crazy. It's going to start hitting mortgages and, you know, apartment rent and that kind of thing is going to, it's going to be hard. And the government, I mean, you know, they have some ideas to help, but I don't, I don't know that's going to come quick enough for a lot of people. So just blessed to, not be worried about that at least definitely bobby jumping back in real quick to uh your answer here um you said that you do uh some kind of speed workout and stuff like that gearing up to like 100 mile race what do those workouts look like for you and how far out in advance are you doing those so this is very similar to like the what jason coop talks about um in, in his book about ultra running you know like the idea is like man, if if you're, if you're training for like the 400, you know, you need to be doing stuff that's very specific to the 400 right before that race months out from that, 
you know, you, you probably ought to be doing endurance type stuff um, because that's going to help uh, with just a, you know, person's aerobic engine. So figuring out what that race is and then, you know, training the training systems that you really don't need in that race, the furthest away and then the closer you get. So like what I was doing going into Hellbender, you know, I did a couple months of, um, you know, two tempo, tempo workouts a week. So like a midweek tempo workout that's at, you know, it's probably at, uh, 90%, you know, max heart rate, um, you know, anywhere between like five and 10 miles. And then I was doing closer to like 10 mile tempos on the weekends. Um, you know, and trying to keep relatively high volume in that too. It's hard, it's hard to train hard and have high volume at the same time. And then the closer I was getting to the race, like, man, you don't necessarily need to be doing tempo workouts, you know, a couple weeks before a hundred mile mountain ultra. So I moved to more steady state workouts, which is, just a little bit under a tempo. So a lot of the same distances, like a five mile steady state or 10 mile steady state, but not quite as hard, um, as a tempo. So kind of an energy getting closer to an energy type system that you would actually use in a hundred mile race. Um, for me, it's been, you know, when I first started hundreds, it was like, man, just go out there and slog out the miles, you know, run all the miles at the same pace. And that's obviously, you know, most people run their slow runs too fast and their fast runs too slow. Um, so it's really just in the last couple of years, I've tried to really dive into some more like training philosophy and, um, you know, the cra- it's crazy, man, the faster you can go out and run a mile, the faster you can run a hundred mile mountain race. Like it's just speed translates into any distance you're running, you know, and especially somebody like me that didn't grow up like running competitively. Uh, I feel like it's even more important to train speed and efficiency because, you know, you don't have that natural efficient running form from running four years of college or whatever. So, um, I've really tried to focus on that over the last couple of years. I I mean, obviously it's worked, right? I mean, his results show it. So, and I, I think I'm kind of, I, I was of the mindset, you know, just volume, volume, volume. And I think, I mean, I probably ran like 10,000 miles over the last three years. So, but I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm seeing that, you know, that doesn't work anymore kind of like you stall out so um once i start ramping back up for training i definitely have to incorporate some of that speed stuff and you know like he's saying i I probably run easier than a lot of people do a lot of the time too so i think that's important because if if you're doing high intensity and then your easy days are moderate not only you're taxing your system you're just risking injury I think both of us have been fairly lucky with not dealing with that really at all. I mean, everybody deals with the niggles, but no like major setbacks. Definitely. And kind of going off that when training does uh, resume for you guys, whenever that is, uh, what are some of your goals moving forward in the rest of this year or early next year? Um, What are some of the races you guys have in your bucket list? Uh, What excites you most with all that? Eric, you can start us off. Well, I mean, I think for this year, I mean, I was optimistic of maybe doing Shawnee 100 miler, but I mean, sorry, Mohican 100 miler, but I don't see that happening. Um, if races come back around in the fall, I would like to do Michael's Shawnee, Shawnee 50 miler. I mean, that looks awesome. I mean, that's like, was like 11,000 feet of gain, 50 miles. That's like, that's my jam. I would really like to do that um hellgate again if if that happens um i'm definitely definitely on board for that if i if dr horton lets me in again um next year i'd like to do another a different um a different hard rock qualifier so you know maybe uh mogion monster or cascade crust both look pretty cool to me so um, my kids are getting old enough now that traveling to to a destination race like that is more manageable. So, um, but you know, I don't have any, uh, I'm doing the air Vipa 50 K next week, uh, virtual 50 K. So awesome. other than that, I have, you know, no races on the schedule. We got some hellos in the chat. Trudely Tuttle says, hi, Eric. And then Gary Woods, Jerry Woods says, hi, Eric and Bobby. So <laughs> Some fans are tuning in and Tim Crow said, Shawnee 100. What does he know that I don't? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Uh, I know uh, Jeremy Peterson did the double Hellgate this year. So I'm sure you could talk Mm. to Michael and uh, 
he would let you i've been debating on doing that double shawnee for a while now it's on it's on my bucket list but hopefully one day that that happens but we'll see it's up to michael i guess bobby what are you gearing up for end of this year early next year yeah so um i'm still technically signed up for uh hellbender they moved it to november um I was really hoping this year, like what the race schedule I was wanting to do was Hellbender in the spring uh, and then Grindstone in the fall and then like JFK 50. Um, That's obviously not going to happen. So I'm kind of thinking about, you know, Grindstone, Hellbender back to back. They're nine weeks apart. So trying to figure out, you know, if I want to do that. Um, Not sure if I'll not sure if I'll do that or not. Uh, So in terms of long-term, I mean, I think my big, it's not really a goal so much, but I just like want to see like how much I can get out of myself in terms of like my ceiling for, you know, the, the capacity to get faster and compete. And, um, you know, so, I mean, we all, you know, we all get older and there's, there's some point where there's like diminishing returns on additional training, but I don't feel like I've totally hit the ceiling of like what I could do. So, Um, really for the last two years, like what I'm doing is just like, man, trying to run the, the hardest, uh, hundred mile mountain races that, you know, that I can have access to on the East coast. And then like, man, when I get into the races, everybody else wants to run, you know, like hard rock and Western States and UTMB one day, like I'll be prepared, you know, cause I'm, I'm going to have multiple hundred mile mountain races, uh, under my belt. So Probably That's double kind of, digits by the time we get into those at least. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's kind of my thing. I just want to see how I could compete at like the hundred mile mountain races. So that's kind of what I'm passionate about. So keep plugging away at that. Definitely. Uh, got a couple more hellos. Hi, Eric from Steven Anderson. Yeah, uh, that's my and, dad. And then uh, Kendall Weaver actually asked Aaron, Eric, are you plan- planning on circling back to Hellbender? I no, I passed. Um, I, you know, it was a weird time when too uh, close to Thanksgiving. Aaron, well, yeah, I mean, uh, typically we go back to Michigan for Thanksgiving, which is like the weekend before, and after that race, I'm going to be a zombie for a few days for sure. So, and I, you know, like this, that was at the beginning of this coronavirus stuff, and uh, you know, I was set to do it in April, and I just, I, I just mentally wasn't ready to to set commit to it in November. So it's got a, it's got a one thirty AM start now too, which is the, yeah, I mean that, and that's not, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's another, you know, I've done, I've done Hellgate, you know, I've done the 12 the 12 one. I've done Grindstone, I've done the 6 PM, but I mean, one thirty is just, you know, and then, and that's a race, you know, hellbender for me, you know, like I'm 29, 30 hours would probably be a pretty good time. So that's just going to be, That'd be tough. If if he circles it back into April, which I think he's looking at keeping it in the fall. If he moves it back in the spring, I'll I'll do it. Um, but no. What, what's I'm the point of the one thirty a.m. start? Is Aaron? Yeah, I, I, I think it's just I think it's oh, just Mitchell State yeah. Park. I think there's some restrictions on when they got to be out of there. So like, you know, we're starting the slowest people got to be able to get through and still be on cutoff. So yeah, I mean, this year it was going to, or, or, you know, the race, that just got canceled. I think it was supposed to start at four 30. Um, maybe something just a different time of year. We got to get off Mount Mitchell soon. Yeah. And, and another thing, you know, November 20th, I think, which is the date. I mean, it could be snow. up. There. There's a good chance parkway is closed. I mean, that's not, that's not surprising if the parkway would be closed and then, that, then you're on an alternate course, which. I mean, that's of course you want to do the whole thing. You want you want to see. I mean, you want to see the that's Black awesome. Mountains in their glory. You don't want to do the abbreviated course if you don't have to. For yeah. sure, and even Mount Mitchell this past year was uh, abbreviated due to weather, I believe. Correct. Right. Yeah, I think they they you know turned it all to the marathon or whatever. So I mean, yeah, it happens all the time over there. I'm sure with off that altitude and whatnot, weather's flying in and, and everything. Uh, Kind of before we wrap things up, I'm curious to know what is your guys' biggest failures in running and how did that shape you into who you are today? Yeah, I think I think for me, um, 
you know, the, the first couple like 50 Ks and stuff I did, you know, they, they went relatively well. I mean, I felt awful at the end, just like everybody, but you know, they went pretty well. It wasn't until at least the way that I felt about it, you know, until I did the first two 100s where I felt like, I mean, the placing was still good. You know, it was like, man, I think the first time I did Hellbender, maybe I don't remember the place, maybe like eight or nine. Oh yeah. No, I said 20, right? or 18th. Yeah. Um, you know, the first time I did grindstone it was like 30th. Um, but the, the races for me were just, they, I felt like they went horrible. I mean, I felt for grindstone, the last 70 miles, I felt like I was going to die. Uh, and for hellbender, like the last 50 miles, I mean, was just, I mean, Eric saw how bad I looked. I was bad. <laughs> so, um, man, I just learned, I learned so much from that. Um, just that experience. And, I feel like once you go to that dark of a place too, it makes it a little less scary. Um, you know, cause you know, like, man, you get more experience, probably, probably most of the races are going to be a lot better than that. Um, so yeah, for me, that's, that's probably the biggest learning experience, which the good thing is, I mean, advice to anybody trying to get in one hundreds, I kind of like expected that, you know, I kind of had a long view about it. Like, man, I know if I want to compete, I need to go get like three, four or five, one hundreds, like under my belt. Like, man, it's just, there's just a steep learning curve. Like just cause you're a fast runner, you ain't going to go out and crush a hundred mile race. So, um, you know, good dose of humility too, in those first two races. Definitely Eric. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of going along with the same thing with Bobby, you know, I just think, you know, you get in these races, you do all this work and then, you know, it's really hard when you're in it and you kind of, I mean, I had a hard time at Grindstone this past year. I just, you know, 30 miles in, I was kind of, my family wasn't there. I was out there. I ran most of the race by myself. I just wasn't around other people. And, you know, I was like, I can just kind of quit now and go back and sleep in my tent and nobody's really going to care. I would have cared. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you and a couple of people, but I mean, it's just like life, you know, I mean, I think anything that you do, right, that's hard, it sucks when you're doing it, but then when you come through the other side, you're like appreciative that you went through it. So, you know, whether or not school or work, you know, certain projects I had when I was younger working, they were terrible, you know, then, but you look back on them, you know, you're proud of them a lot more than the ones that were easy, so it's the same thing. I mean, it's anything worth doing. That's hard. Stick it out and make it through. But, um, you know, that being said, you know, it's an ultra, it's not that big of a deal. If you want to quit, quit, nobody cares. I mean, it's up to you if you're not having fun or if it, it doesn't mean anything to you to finish. Like, I mean, I've, I know people that DNF all the time. It's like, whatever. I mean, if, it's up to you. If that makes you feel good, that's fine. So, I mean, I think we're, I mean, Bobby and I are in the same boat where we don't race a ton. So it makes it easier to not give up in some of these races because you're not doing so many. So I think it, in some ways it's less pressure. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, obviously having uh, someone there to push you and, uh, accountability to, to kind of, uh, with this race is obviously having someone else out there with you the whole time and just other people being around. Uh, I know for me, my friends always give me a little bit of stick if I DNF from a race. So, uh, there's always a couple different outside factors that kind of can push you too, even if you're not, uh, thinking about it in the moment. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's great. I mean, that's, you know, that's what you need. I mean, I've done the, uh, the races I've done, I really, I mean, the first grindstone, my fa my family was out there, but you know, with two little kids, it's hard to, they can't crew you, you know, like being in the mountains of Virginia, it's just, it's too hard to get to some of these aid stations. So, and I haven't used a pacer, so, but it's, it's, you know, you get in your head for sure, but you just gotta get out of it. And, you know, I think for me at night times, it's also, it's sometimes easier because you're just dealing with the you're five feet in front of you instead of worrying about, you know, what's coming up. Also doing different races. I mean, for me, the second time doing grindstone, knowing I had to go up Elliot's and that sucky rocky climb, you know, like it mentally, it was hard. You know, I knew what was coming the last 20 miles. I knew it was, you know, where if you're out somewhere on a different race, you don't really, you know, you don't really know what's coming. Sometimes that can be an advantage. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I, obviously, a different course, a new course. Obviously, it's always something new to look at. Even if it's just at night, you don't know where you are. Kind of lose track of time. Bobby, do you have the same opinions on that? Do you like a same course or uh, a familiar course, or do you like a new course? Uh. I mean, I, I think if you're trying to run fast, I think you can run faster on a course you're familiar with. Um, you know, so like, I feel like I'm getting more familiar with like the grindstone course, having run it twice. Um, but I love, I love the idea of going and running a hundred mile race on a course you haven't run though. I think that's like awesome. Um, you know, first time I did hellbender, I had only run maybe 20 miles of the course. So that was like super, super cool. But I think for times you're probably better off knowing the climbs and the descents and all that stuff. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we really appreciate you guys joining us tonight uh, for our Ridge Runners live show. Uh, we had a blast hearing your stories and all the experiences that you guys have really grown into who you are today. Uh, just a reminder, everyone, that you can catch us on live on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, or you can take us on the go via Apple Podcasts. If you know anyone, if you have anyone who you think would be a great guest for the show, drop their name in the comment, nominate them below, and we'll, just like Eric and Bobby were. Uh, we'll get them on. Thank you both yeah. again. And we'll see you guys soon. Hopefully. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you guys, you having us on and I always enjoy following the run down and showing us about races we didn't know about and getting people on that we're exposed to. So it's a, it's a good show. I'm glad what you guys are doing and anything I can do to help you guys out, you know, let me know. Appreciate yeah, thank, it. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate it.